the American dream has become a nightmare. Signs of the time are on cardboard on corners in town. Like a cancer that's silently spreading, there's an unspoken fear. We're on our way down. We must take America back. We must take America back. Welcome, Patriots and Freedom Fighters, broadcasting from my home studio in downtown Belfont, Pennsylvania. Worldwide, that's National Intel Report on Republic Broadcasting Network. Liberty Lighthouse on Mojo 50 Radio and Patriot Nation Radio Network. Welcome to this two hours of common sense and constitutional discussion. I'm your host of the evening, Peter Seraphine. At the bottom of this first hour, so roughly 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time, if you're watching or listening live, we're going to have an author joining us, Mr. T.C. Morrison, who spent many years as an attorney filing cases in several of the federal courts. And now he writes satirical books about the legal system. So that could be fun. We'll have to wait and see. But I want to start off with, you know, everybody out there, if you've ever seen the show, if you've ever listened to the show, you know that I've, over the last five years, that I began getting involved in politics when I first got that itch and started doing something about it and wrote that first little book. At that point, I just, I knew something was wrong. I knew that the, the progressive woke people had gone crazy and our government was following them right off the crazy cliff. But I didn't really understand. I didn't know what I wanted to do about it. I didn't really understand what was wrong. I just knew that wokeness was crazy. Well, in my five years or so of doing this, of, of writing and uh, doing this radio show, I've come to identify as a constitutional originalist. So I'm going to try to remold this show, remold my broadcast just a little bit, and try to always begin on a constitutional principle or tie whatever the topic that we might have back to a constitutional principle. That's my goal. Um, not right now, Mike. Mike just asked if I wanted to talk to one of the listeners. Not now. Well, he can hang around till the uh, to, to the second hour. I'll talk to Reb then. Don't really have a whole lot of time before our first guest, and I don't want to cut anybody off, including Reb or our guest. So, One of the things that comes up often when you're talking to anybody, whether it's on air or on the street, people say, well, I know it's messed up. How do we fix it? And there's, you know, a thousand different opinions and a thousand different views of how to fix government. I'm going to get into a few of those in a minute. But I don't think anybody has one answer. I don't think there is just one answer to how to fix the government but i do know that the answer is not drawing back and not participating that doesn't help at all so those of you that well you don't vote anymore 
because you're so disillusioned, disillusioned with our system. Shame on you. It's completely the wrong thing to do. But I'm going to give you a suggestion here in a second of where you can help, even if you're not voting. But first, I want to make sure that you all know this is a live call-in show. So if you've never called in before, I would love you to uh, to call in tonight. First-time callers are always welcome and appreciated. And the phone number is 512-248-8252. And if you'd rather not call in, if you don't want to hear your voice on the radio, but you have a comment that you'd like to make, well, you can text that to me. And the number to do that is 64-MY-RIGHTS. That's 646-974-4487. And I'll get those right here on my phone, right in front of me, one of the many screens I'm surrounded by at the moment. And uh, maybe we can talk about it. Maybe I'll talk about it on here. So how do we fix our government? If you've got a brilliant idea, please call or text because I don't know that I have any brilliant ideas. I have a whole lot of little ideas. And I want to start with those of you that are disillusioned. Those of you who have given up and don't vote anymore, or even those that have never voted, never even registered. One thing that you can do that doesn't cost you anything that would help send a message would be just change your voter registration party. Just change your party. Even if you're still not going to vote, change your party. Change to the Libertarian Party or the Constitution Party or you know whatever. One of the third party options. I'm registered to the Constitution Party, if you didn't know that. And uh, that just means, for me, I can't vote in the primaries here in my state of Pennsylvania because we have closed primaries. But I can still vote for the Democrat or the Republican if if I want to when the uh, general election comes around. I just don't get to pick which one of those people are. Now, how does that help? How does changing your voter registration help? Well, if you look back at the history, when third-party groups start to gather a little traction, or any group, whether it's a official political party or not, when they start to gather traction, the two main parties shift to try to accommodate those people. For example, when the Socialist Party of America started to gather traction, oh, probably in about the 1980s, maybe 90s, the Democrat Party shifted their platform to gather more of those socialist folks under their umbrella. They, the Democrats shifted their platform so as not to lose registrants to the Socialist Party. And the same thing happened with the Republicans when the Tea Party came around. The Tea Party was getting to be pretty big, making news. The Republican Party shifted a little so that they didn't lose those voters as registered voters. So what if, no, what if a couple of million of us out here, out there in the world, all of a sudden changed voter registration to the Constitution Party? Does it 
Is it going to be an immediate change? Is the Republican leadership going to wake up and go, oh my God, what are we doing wrong? No. But it might be enough of a change that they start to think, ooh, we should probably uh, lean this way a little more. I think it's a simple thing. How easy is it to change your voter registration? I've done it a couple of times. It's fill out a form. That's it. Doesn't cost anything. And might help, even if you're not going to vote. Which I think is, I still think you should vote. The other thing, the other idea I had is, you know, a lot of us get overwhelmed with the, how do we change this, this massive behemoth 400 plus federal departments, millions of federal employees. How do we change this giant federal monster? Well, again, as an individual person, you really can't. Not a whole lot you can do. You might be lucky enough to be able to bring a lawsuit and change one little tiny aspect of something if you happen to win your lawsuit. That's a lot of work and a lot of money and a lot of time. And I don't expect millions of us to do that. But I think it goes to the the federalist nature, the Republican nature of the structure of our government. Too many of us have shifted all of our focus to the federal level. We don't look at what's right in front of us, our local government. How hard is it to remove a mayor or a council person? I would venture to guess that it's pretty freaking easy compared to removing a senator, for example. So fix your town. Get the right people elected in your town. And who are the right people? If you ask me, which you're listening to this show, so I'm going to assume that means you're asking me the right people are people that get into office and can answer the most basic of political questions which is what is the purpose of government the answer is in the declaration of independence it's in the first paragraph of the declaration of independence to secure our unalienable rights and any politician that can't answer that question that way doesn't deserve your vote. They have to at least understand the, the overall purpose of government before you give them a job in government, wouldn't you think? And the Declaration of Independence says, We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men are created equal endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, and among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. The answer is there. And anybody who wants your vote should be able to say that. As a matter of fact, anybody who wants your vote should be able to at least quote what I just, just rambled off the top of my head. Personally, I think every American should be able to to recite that without having to look it up. Kind of brings us to the next of my ideas. 
That's education. How did we get here? How did we get to a point when most of our country thinks that we're a democracy, not a republic? How did we get to a point where people are expecting free stuff from government when that's not in the Constitution? Why should they why should anybody expect anything from our government? So education. What can you do about that? How do you help educate? Well, I'm putting together classes. You know, I created the Liberty Lighthouse classroom. I want people to go there and take courses. So that's how what I did, but what can you do? Well, you can go take a course. You can get your neighbor to take a course or get a group of people. You know what? Make it a weekly thing. Every Friday night for however many weeks, you know, you pick a course. Let's say you pick uh, the, the, hmm, the Truth of America's Founding. The Truth of America's Founding, I believe it's ten, uh, four lessons long. Hour and a half each. So every Saturday, Invite a bunch of friends over every Saturday for four consecutive Saturdays and do a course together. You don't all have to pay for it. Only one person has to. And if you know what? If you're going to do that, if you're going to invite people over to your house and, and do any of these courses, contact me. I'll give you the course for free. Just because you're helping to spread the word. I Education is key. So yeah, we need to educate Young people, of course, but that's going to take generations. We didn't, we didn't end up with this new generation of, of youngsters who all want free stuff from our government for nothing overnight. That didn't happen overnight. That took decades of not training people what the Constitution says. So... It's going to probably take decades before we get another generation who really understands the Constitution again. So it's not just about educating the youth. We need to educate each other. You need to call out when somebody says something unconstitutional. Now, let's see here. Drink Coaster 22 in the Twitch chat room. It's only not a democracy when the Republicans are crying about something they don't like. This is some F-tier right-wing propaganda. At least mix in some buzzwords next time. So you drooling Trumpers, you might want to... See, why does everybody do that? You come in, you've been on the show for you know three seconds, and you immediately assume I'm a Trumper. If you had heard the beginning their drink coaster 22 i'm a constitutional originalist and it's only not a democracy when republicans are crying about no we are not a democracy we've never been a democracy we have a democratic component but if the if we were still set up the way our founders intended the only person you would vote for at the federal level, would be your member of the House of Representatives. You don't vote for Senate, and you don't vote for President. Neither of those things are in the Constitution. Well, 
the Senate is now since the 17th Amendment. So before you spout off next time and start calling me a Trumper, why don't you listen for a minute? Educate. Educate what's in the Constitution. That's a big part of our problem. That's probably the biggest part of our problem. John Q. Public thinks we're a democracy. There's very few people in in the country that can list off the Ten Amendments of the Bill of Rights. Or even yet, what does the First Amendment give you? What? I'm sorry, that's not... That was a misspeak on my part. That was wrong. The Constitution doesn't give you anything. Your rights come from God. What does the First Amendment protect is the right thing to say. And I said that wrong and I feel stupid about it. I'm sorry. Most people can't answer these basic questions about our Constitution and our form of government. They want to abolish the Electoral College because they want us to be a democracy. Ben Franklin says the democracy is two wolves and a lamb fighting over what's for dinner. Thomas Jefferson called a democracy mob rule. A republic is set up with laws to protect the minorities. Democracies don't have that. If 50% of the population plus one says we should take all the money from anybody making more than $100,000 a year and redistribute it. 50% plus one. You think you could get that today? I bet you could. But because we're not a democracy, there are rules, laws, that govern what you can and can't vote on. And a structure that helps to protect the minority from abuses of power and tyranny. But nobody understands that anymore because we don't teach the Constitution. I grew up... All right, so I was born in 1972. The Federal Department of Education, as we know it today, was established in 79, went into effect in 1980. So I was eight. So I was in about third grade when the Federal Department of Education came into existence and began operating. Now, it didn't run and take off right away and take everything from our states. and It took a while. So I'm 50 years old, and I'm going to guess that if you're much younger than me, you didn't get near the historical education that I got. And those that are older than me probably got a far better American history education than I did. American history not only wiped off the curriculum, it was, it was, you know, perverted, I guess. Yeah, slavery was bad. Yeah, we allowed slavery in our country. But so did every other country in the world at the time. We were the third country to abolish slavery. Third. And you know what? 
there's about 150 countries today that still allow slavery. So if America's original sin is slavery, what's that saying about the countries that still allow it today? True Seeker Donald, also in the Twitch chat room, says that the Articles of Confederation were a better setup than the Constitution. Well, apparently they weren't because the Articles were falling short in different ways, and that's why they got together to fix them and ended up building something new. We were close to defaulting on our debt in 1786 and 87 because under the Articles of Confederation the the general government which is what they called the federal government they couldn't demand money from the states they can only request it and states were like oh well I don't have it I'll, I'll give it to you next month and well the states were each printing their own money and some of them printing crap tons of it ruining the economy of not only that state but the whole country had armed rebellions in our country because worthless money. <laughs> Rebellion because of worthless paper money. Hmm. Anyway, there were enough flaws in the Articles of Confederation that they had to do something. And what they came up with the Constitution. I like the Constitution. I think it's one of the best documents ever written. And, uh, like uh, well, anybody who thinks it's a pro-slavery document needs to go out and read Frederick Douglass. You know, Frederick Douglass, the, the guy who, uh, well, he was a slave, and he escaped, and he thought that it was a racist country founded on a racist document until he read it and studied it himself. Then he spent the rest of his life going around telling people that, no, this is a good document. This is as anti-slavery a document as they could get. And that was a slave, or a former slave. If a former slave could say that about our Constitution, why do we have now, 250 years later, people trying to run around and say that the Constitution was a slavery document? The guy who was a slave did the research himself and said, no, it isn't. So why are we trying to rehash it and go back? I don't know. Anyway, sponsor this first segment, Right to Bear Insurance. If you own firearms, you need carry insurance. And uh, Right to Bear Insurance is the most affordable carry insurance on the market according to Pew Pew Tactical. It's also the most affordable carry insurance on the market, according to me. It starts at $11 a month. That's what my membership level is, is $11 a month. And if you use code Lighthouse, you'll save 10% when you go to protectwithbear.com. Protectwithbear.com. You need carry insurance if you own a firearm. This is protection against criminal defense, legal defense, psychological support if you have to you have to use your gun, um, Replacing your firearm if the police confiscate it after illegal usage. Right to bear insurance. Can't say enough good things about it. Oh, and by the way, uh, uh, order now. Sign up now. Become a member now. And your price is guaranteed forever. So even as inflation goes and price hikes come, 
you don't have to worry about them. Right to Bear Insurance at protectwithbear.com. Code Lighthouse. Thank you. Let's see. Go back over here in the chat room. What do we got? Uh, you really need to listen to some Mike Gaddy. Yeah, I hear that. People tell me I should listen to this person or that person. I don't want to listen to somebody else. That's what I think everybody should do. Read it yourself. Anyway, music says commercial break. Be back in three minutes. We want the freedom that God gave us. So you best not cross that line. If you want this gun, you got to come through us and take it. One shot at a time. Attention, freedom-loving patriots. Are you ready to dive deep into the principles that founded our great nation? Join me, Peter Serafine, and the Institute on the Constitution as we light the way to a brighter future with the Liberty Lighthouse Classroom. At liberty-lighthouse.com slash classroom, you'll find a treasure trove of online courses on the U.S. Constitution, carefully crafted to empower you with knowledge to defend your rights and liberty, whether you're a student, a history enthusiast, or just a concerned citizen. These courses are for you. Gain a comprehensive understanding of our Constitution's principles, the wisdom of our Founding Fathers, and how to apply them in today's world. As a special offer to our freedom-loving listeners of Republic Broadcasting Network, use coupon code RBN at checkout and get 20% discount on any course. Join the Liberty Lighthouse Classroom and be a part of the movement to uphold the values that have made our nation exceptional. Unleash the power of knowledge and protect what truly matters, our Constitution. Visit liberty-lighthouse.com slash classroom today. Don't miss this incredible opportunity. Use code RBN for 20% off. Together, we'll be the beacon of freedom our founding generation envisioned. Liberty Lighthouse Classroom. Illuminating minds, empowering patriots.
welcome back. Don't forget that free speech is not free. And uh, the best thing that you can do to help any of these independent broadcasters and free speech networks is to share out their stuff, to, uh, to you know, share links to their shows, their web pages, whatever it may be. Help spread the word of free speech networks like this one that you're listening to right now. So our guest has joined us via the video feed thing here, but um, he's having some audio trouble and he can't hear us. So we're working on the backside, trying to uh, get him an email and maybe have him call in or do something. We'll figure it out soon. But in the meantime, the phone line is open for you to call in to me. That's 512-248-8252. Or if you'd rather text, you can text 64 my rights. That's 64 Four four eight seven, and let's see here. Let's look at some of these. Uh, let's see, Sarah shared out the show. Thank you very much. Um, so several documents he wants everybody to see, not just listen to and believe. Okay, and Truth said you heard him. Yeah, I could hear him. He couldn't hear us. That was that was the big problem. Anyway, we're trying to figure out how we can fix our republic in little tiny ways. And I kind of thought about it. Well, I, I thought about it like uh, I thought of a biblical story. When I was saying, you know, fix your town. Don't try to fix the big, scary federal government yourself. Try to fix your town. And how do you do that is, you know, your own people and get the right people in and whatever. I was... Um, I was reminded of the story of Nehemiah in the Bible. You remember Nehemiah? The wall around Jerusalem had caved and needed some serious help, and, well, nobody was doing it. But Nehemiah organized and got everybody to fix the piece of the wall right in front of them. Fix the piece of the wall that adjoins your property. And hopefully your neighbor will fix the piece of the wall on their property. And eventually, the whole wall gets fixed. And I think that's that's a lot like what we need to do in our government. If we all fix our towns, if we all fix our counties, then our counties will fix our states, and our states will fix our Fed, and it'll be like that. Let me try this again. DC, can you hear me yet? Nope. Can't hear. No. I uh. He can't hear me. I can hear him. That makes for an interesting conversation. So, the story of Nehemiah really brings to brings to heart to me. Like, what can you do in your town? How do you fix your little town? Well, you need to elect people that not only answer the question that I, I said in the last segment, where not only do you need to elect people to office to understand the purpose of government and the purpose of government to secure our unalienable rights. It's the only acceptable answer. But you also need to elect people, well, not only do they know that they're supposed to secure our rights, but they know the structure of our government based on our Constitution, the supreme law of the land. Anybody who wants my vote for any elected office should know the supreme law of the land, right? That makes perfect sense. 
So ask him some, ask him a question or two about the Constitution. I, I forget which federal judge it was that uh, President Biden had nominated a federal judge, and that judge was you know going through the Senate confirmations and was asked, "What does Article One of the Constitution do?" And the judge was like, hey, um, "I uh, don't know. I haven't done a lot of constitutional law." I can't believe that anybody wouldn't under wouldn't be able to answer what articles one, two, and three do. They set up the legislative, the executive, and the judicial branches of government respectively. Now, if you don't know what number four is, which is you know restrictions, I might be able to give you a pass on that. If you don't number five how to change the Constitution. I might give you a pass on that. Number six, that says, you know, we're going to honor our debts. The debts that we had before, we're going to honor those. Or number seven, that says how to ratify the Constitution. If you don't know one, two, and three, you shouldn't be in government. You shouldn't have a job in government at all, let alone an elected job. And this particular judge was a was an appointee to be a federal appeals court judge. And if they want to be a federal appeals court judge, and they don't even know that, how do you? How do you? How can an appeals court judge be an appeals court judge if they don't know the Constitution? TC, can you hear me yet? Nope. Uh, We're not connected audio. Yeah. Well, I think it most likely it's you need to turn up your volume. Well, I, I don't have a way to tell you that because you're obviously not reading the chat messages either. Like, how did that person even get suggested, appointed? Who would do that? If, if let's pretend for a minute that you're president, you get to appoint federal judges. Aren't you going to ask them if they know something about the Constitution? That's mostly what federal judges deal with, is, the, is constitutional issues. So you should be able to at least do that. But we're in a place now where we are so divided that it doesn't matter. You have the right ideology. You're wearing the right team patch, the right team jersey. So I'm going to nominate you. That's not right. So fix your town. You need to know your rights. The people that you elect need to know your rights. And knowing them isn't enough. Knowing your rights is great. But if you don't have the courage to stand up for them, 
What good is knowing them? I can hear you now. Please speak. It might be somebody trying to reach. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah. With the help of my uh, IT savvy wife, <laughs> I've managed to uh, hook up. Okay, you're to, all set. To the audio. Thank you. I'm sorry. Thank you. That's all right. It's live broadcast. That kind of stuff happens. So welcome to the show, everybody. Uh, T.C. Morrison, uh, I, if I remember correctly, a 40-year attorney who argued in in uh, eight of the 11 federal district courts and uh, has turned a fiction writer, which that's quite the switch, isn't it? Yes, it was. Um Actually, it was uh, eight of 11 of the federal courts of appeal, just to be more precise. Sorry about uh, that. There were, I think, 13 circuits I argued in, uh, uh, eight or nine of them. But yeah, I, uh, I was a, uh, a litigator. I tried cases and argued appeals around the country for 45 years, and, um, but I'd always wanted to write a novel. Uh, when I was in the Air Force, my first four years out of law school, I actually wrote a so-called spy novel, but, you know, what do I know about spies except what I saw on TV? Uh, luckily, none of the publishers I sent it to uh, published it. Uh, but then 45 years later, uh, when I was getting ready to retire, I thought, gee, maybe I should go back to my idea of writing a novel and write about something I know about, which in my case was modern American litigation. I didn't write, want to write a serious book about litigation, and I didn't want to write a legal thriller. They're kind of a dime a dozen. Um, so I thought I would uh, poke fun at my profession, which I think is the source of a lot of amusement. A lot of lawyers take themselves way too seriously. Uh, a lot of things that happen in the legal world are very humorous. And uh, my intent was to capture that in a series of books uh, satirizing modern-day litigation. Which I don't think would be difficult to do. Uh, <laughs> So the newest one that comes out here in about two weeks is Send in the Tort Lawyers. Right. And then your previous two that I have in front of me are Torts Are Us and Please Pass the Torts. So apparently you have a thing against the uh, current tort system. <laughs> well, the, um, the books were written with the idea of making people laugh. Um, a lot of people have told me they uh, they just laughed out loud continuously. Um, one guy, one reader said he hadn't laughed so hard since Portnoy's complaint. So the books are really about humor. But in order to generate the humor, I decided to focus on the um, uh, a lot of the silliness that goes on in modern class action litigation. So in the very first book, Torts Are Us, I took twin brothers, Pap and Pup Peters, who had been uh, had traditional legal careers with big firms and doing very traditional litigation, and they decided they were bored with their practice, although they were making very very good money, and they decided to start up a small firm bringing plaintiffs class action lawsuits. They thought they could make more money and have a lot more fun doing that, and so in Torts Are Us, I set them on the course of bringing uh, wacky class action lawsuits on behalf of very wacky clients, uh, frequently in front of befuddled uh, judges. Um, and uh, that, that was the uh, first book. And uh, 
people seem to like it. So in book two, Please Pass the Torts, I continued the saga with another series of kind of bizarre cases. And now the third book, Send in the Tort Lawyers, is yet another continuation with another round of, I think, bizarre cases that will make people laugh quite a bit. Well, the, the humor is obvious, even just from the short descriptions of the books. I mean, in Torts R Us, you describe Pup as uh, uh, Pup, who was a good lawyer despite having gone to Yale Law School. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that, that, that was a favorite um, favorite bogeyman of mine. Uh, uh, people that go to Yale School, Law School, are all incredibly intelligent, but, but in my dealings, um, they weren't always the best lawyers. In fact, my, uh, one of my um, uh, associates that I shared an office with in my very first year of practice, he had gone to Yale, and he flunked the New York bar, and he said he, uh, he went up to Albany to read his bar exam, which you could do, and he met all of his classmates up there reading <laughs> their exams. They had all flunked it. But now, to be fair, uh, failing the bar exam, at least on the first time, is a pretty common occurrence from my understanding. Um, yeah, but you don't want to, you, you don't want to have to take it a second time. It, it's really, it, it is, it is a hard exam, uh, but you don't want to have to take it a second time. Uh, I don't want to take it at all. <laughs> I don't blame you. Um, so how much of your actual practice is interwoven into your books? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. In the very first book, I felt I needed to develop the background of my characters, Pap and Pup. So I started out with their careers in their respective law firms doing traditional cases. And all of those cases in roughly the first third of that first book were based on actual trials that I had had myself. When they went into the class action arena, I never did class action litigation. I didn't want to do it, had no interest in doing it. So all of those cases uh, had nothing to do with my career, although they're all based on real-life class action cases. But uh, my career furnished uh, stories for the first third of uh, book one. Okay. you got to draw on your own experiences when you write anything. Um, I'm going to take a quick little sponsor break here, so just sit tight for 30 seconds or so sure. and tell people about the wellness company. If you want doctors that are willing to stand up for your personal health, and your personal rights in healthcare, and not go by the government-mandated woke nonsense, that's where the wellness company comes in. That's twc.health, and you can find doctors and pharmacists and pharmacies to help you out. And they'll help you if you're if you're one of those preppers and you want to get ready and have a three-month supply of your medications in, in a back drawer someplace, they'll help you with that, too. If you want to get off of medications, you want to get away from Big Pharma, they can help you with that, too. TWC.health. Use code LIGHTHOUSE when you visit TWC.health, and I'll help you out. And uh, you can see doctors or just buy their amazing American supplements. TWC.health. Code LIGHTHOUSE. Okay, so the newest book is about uh, cryptocurrency, if I remember right. Uh, yes. And th this is interesting because all the other cases, uh, other than my personal trials, which which showed up in book one, as I said, but all the class action cases um, were real cases, but I, you know, I stretched them a bit uh, in order to make them funny. 
the cryptocurrency case, the real facts in that, the rise and fall of FTX, uh, which left millions of people uh, holding worthless cryptocurrency, those facts were so bizarre, I didn't have to do any Im- improvisation. Uh, I took the facts exactly as they occurred uh, in the real world. And the only thing I did was instead of having the plaintiffs go after the company, which is now bankrupt, I had them go after the celebrities uh, who endorsed this now worthless cryptocurrency. I can't expect that to happen, to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, in, in real life, there are now some lawsuits against the celebrities. Um, uh, how well they're being prosecuted uh, I'm not sure. I think my book laid out a very clever way to uh, go after the celebrities because that they're the only ones anymore with money. I mean, this company is absolutely bankrupt. Uh, uh, Sam Bankman-Fried was once worth $16 billion, and he's now sitting uh, in jail in Manhattan, and uh, uh, he's not worth uh, anything. So in, in, in my book, I figured out I had my lawyers, Pap and Pup, figure out that the big money would be with uh, celebrities. Well, maybe uh, your book was the inspiration for the the uh, the real ones going on now, the, the real lawsuits that are going uh, against the celebrity endorser. Yeah. The, the interesting thing about this, Peter, this is, the frankly, the only case in all three books that I would say represents a legitimate use of the class action mechanism. Uh, This really is the kind of case class actions were designed for. Massive fraud, uh, thousands of people in the same circumstances, out money. So this really was an appropriate use of the class action mechanism. Every other case in all three books that are class actions are, in my judgment, an example of the worthless class action cases that are flooding flooding the courts all right now since since you're here well first off before before I, I start getting questions for you that are a little off of the topic of your books tell people where they can find your books uh mainly on uh amazon uh you could go to a, your local bookstore and they could order it for you uh, from the publisher but the easiest way to get it is on uh, Amazon. All three books are on Amazon. Uh, if you go to Amazon, you'll see the reviews. Uh, the first two books had tons of reviews, most of them in the four- and five-star uh, category. Awesome. Um, yeah, so like looking at the new book, it doesn't come out until next month, or uh-huh. no, 13 days from now, the 12th. Um, you're already number 18 in law practice books. Really? Yep. Wow. Right there on the screen. Number 18 in law practice, number 190 in law practice. I'm sorry. Uh, number 18 is as the Kindle book, number 190 as the book book, and number 276 as a satire book. Wow. How did you find all that out? I went to your, uh, to found, found the book on Amazon and scrolled down about two-thirds of the way. Oh, okay. You're, you're ranked. You're, oh, your overall I, I, rank. I should do that. I've been I've been busy um, uh, sending the book out to former friends and colleagues and uh, suggesting that they read it and submit a review. Uh, and uh, most of them have promised uh, to do so. But I haven't looked at the Amazon page. Let me, I'll have to do that, Peter. Thank you. 
Well, your your overall number bestseller ranking is number one hundred and seventy four thousand nine hundred and thirteen. <laughs> oh, <start>. please! <laughs> but that's I mean that's one hundred and seventy four thousand nine hundred and thirteen out of like eight million. So it's not that bad. <laughs> You're hurting my self esteem, Peter. <laughs> anyway, I've written three books too, and I don't think I've ever broken the broken below the fifty thousand line, even at even when I, I got everybody I knew to order all at the same day, I think I still, <laughs> I still didn't break the 50,000 uh, 50, threshold. Um, all right. So I want, I want to ask you, since I've got you here, if you don't mind, I'd like to ask you questions. Like, so you specifically go into tort as, as a theme of all of these. What are the, what are your opinions of the current tort system? Well, uh, there, there's nothing wrong with having a, a, a tort system. You need remedies for torts. I mean, half, half of the lawsuits in the country involve torts. You're, you have an automobile accident. That's a tort. Somebody falls into your swimming pool and gets hurt. That's a tort. Mm-hmm. So torts have been around forever. And the class action system was designed to deal with mass torts. In my judgment, it was designed to deal with serious mass torts. For example, an airplane crash or the 9-11 events or, as as I just said, uh, the uh, collapse of FTX, leaving millions of people uh, penniless. Where where I think the tort system has gone wrong is there's a huge industry of, of lawyers who do nothing but bring class action cases. Most of them are frivolous. And they frequently bring them, of all places, in, in, in the food world. Mm-hmm. Uh, cases involving food ingredients, uh, cases uh, involving a package that uh, isn't uh, full enough of ingredients. The most recent case, uh, Burger King was just sued uh, in class action, alleging its Whopper isn't big enough. Well, those cases are amusing, and I have a lot of fun with them in my books. I have two or three of those kinds of cases uh, in the books, and they make for great fun, but all they do is clog up the court system. And the reason that they're unfortunate is that they don't really benefit anybody except the lawyer. I'll give you a good example. One of the cases that I worked into book three, the current book, uh, has to do with Godiva Belgian chocolates. And the issue in that case was could could Godiva call them Belgian chocolates if they were actually made in Reading, Pennsylvania? Uh, Godiva argued, well, Belgian chocolate is just a kind of chocolate. doesn't mean they're made in Belgium. Well, that case was litigated as a class action, went on for several years. It was finally settled. And here's what happened in the settlement. There were two or three named plaintiffs. Each of them got $5,000. There were thousands of members of the class class members got $15 each, but if they had proof of purchase, they got $25. Of course, who keeps the proof of purchase of a box of chocolates? The lawyers walked away with $5 million. That, that is just a perfect example of these kinds of cases. They really don't benefit the consumers. Uh, these consumers were lucky they got $15. Usually you get a, a coupon good for more boxes of the product that you just sued about. Um, uh, I think these cases uh, are silly, uh, but there's a whole industry of people. There was a lawyer in Great Neck, New York, who's known as the king of New York torts. And I think the year was 2022. There were 148 class action cases 
filed in New York State. This one attorney had filed 87 of them, and they all were on the same subject, that is, uh, vanilla. Uh, his argument was that unless unless the vanilla in your product came from a true vanilla bean as opposed to an, uh, a vanilla flavoring, the product was mislabeled. Well, that that case, frankly, doesn't belong in federal court. No. Uh, there are remedies for cases like that. For example, uh, the FTC can always look in to product labeling and advertising. State attorney generals or consumer fraud offices can do that. And when I practiced, uh, I had a lot of cases where a company would sue a competitor for false advertising. So if someone was really hurt, if a company uh, was really hurt by someone saying that they had vanilla flavoring that wasn't really vanilla flavoring, they would file a lawsuit. And, uh, and uh, I did those kinds of cases all the time. But, but in, in that case, it's, it's a competitor using its own resources, hiring its own lawyers to bring the lawsuit. There's no, uh, the, there's no ripping off of anybody. Uh, so there are ways that the, that the food labeling issues can be resolved without the need for a ridiculous class action lawsuit. One of those competitor ones that I remember was Papa John's Pizza. Yes, uh, that yeah. was my case. Oh, was it? Yes, I, I represented uh, Pizza Hut against uh, Papa John's. Uh, uh, that, that was one of the more interesting cases I did. Uh, we had a uh, three-week trial down in Dallas, Texas. The issue was uh, Papa John's had this slogan, better ingredients, better pizza. You couldn't watch a football game without seeing that slogan. On its face, the slogan by itself is what you generally call puffing. Nobody takes that kind of thing seriously. John's did something really interesting. They began running advertising uh, tied to each of the ingredients. It's, it's uh, tomato sauce, it's cheese, it's dough. And in the ads, it tried to show why those ingredients were better than its competitors, thereby turning uh, a, a silly slogan into a real advertising claim. All right. I'm going to have to ask you to hold. Can you hold over for the break? Sure. All right. It is commercial break time. We'll be back in three minutes with D.C. Morrison. Tell us more about his books. I've been sleeping on a my pillow pillow for years, and a couple of years ago, I tried the my pillow towels, soft and absorbent, wonderful bath towels. Recently, I got the my Giza Dream sheets, and they are by far the best quality bed sheets I've ever owned. Well, the quilt is pretty awesome, too. New products being added all the time at MyPillow.com, including sandals and slides and pajamas and, well, everything that you need for sleeping. Use the code LIGHTHOUSE at MyPillow.com to save yourself up to 66% off. That's the code LIGHTHOUSE at MyPillow.com. The American dream 
has become a nightmare. <clears throat> Signs of the time are on cardboard on corners in town. <clears throat> like a cancer that's silently spreading. There's an unspoken fear. We're on our way down. We must eat back. Hey, welcome back to the top of the second hour of National Intel Report live on Republic Broadcasting Network, Liberty Lighthouse on Mojo 50 Radio and Patriot Creation, Patriot Nation Radio Network. Anywhere else you're hearing or watching the show, we've got TC Morrison with us tonight, author of a, a series of books, uh, Torts Are Us. The newest one comes coming out in about two weeks. Send in the tort lawyer, tort lawyers. Now, before we uh, get back to talking. With TC, we got a phone call. Sarah in Oregon, line one. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Um, for the in the, the first bit of the show, we were talking about 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 being being stuff, doing stuff. Mm-hmm. But do stuff. But but we need to do all those things responsibly without calling for violence in a Hitler-esque del- del- delivery because it gives the last ammunition for us to call racist, homophobic, sexist, sexist, and violent. But So no Zeke Hiles. No Zeke Hiles, no Stu Peters-type ranting and raving. Oh, yeah, Stu really went off recently. Man, he's going to get himself in some serious trouble if he keeps that up. Yes, that is why That is why he's ruined Mojo. He's ruined Mojo. He's screwed everyone over, including yourself and Dominic Izzo and all those people. But this is why I set up tonight's space for the responsibility of free speech and the age of extremism. It's on after your show. Bye on X. Bye. Bye, Sarah. Sarah is one of our one of my biggest fans, one of the best followers. She constantly sharing out on social media the show and calls in almost every week. Um, love Sarah for that. Uh, let's see here. So your books are you know they're they're all tort in their name, and anytime I even hear tort, I immediately think of the McDonald's coffee lady, uh, the the lady who spilled the hot coffee in her lap and then sued McDonald's and won. I don't know, $5 million or $50 million or whatever it was. Uh, most people's gut reaction to that case is that that is tort gone wrong. Like, there's no reason that she should have ever gotten an award, let alone an award that big. Do you know anything about the case other than that? No, I, I really don't. I don't have a problem with this lady suing McDonald's if... if um, the coffee was really too hot and uh, uh, didn't have a holder on the cup or something. I would only have a problem if she filed a class action and brought in a thousand other people uh, claiming that they, their coffee was too hot. That I would have a problem with. Well, tell me what, what I, you know about the case. I'm interested. Well, what I, what I found out was uh, what made the case really interesting. Okay, so um, typically you want to serve coffee. Uh, between 170, maybe 190 degrees, like at the absolute most. Like 190 degrees is screaming hot coffee. Mm-hmm. 
McDonald's, or I don't remember if it, if it was McDonald's corporate or McDonald's that particular franchise, but they had a a historical record of multiple complaints about their coffee being far too hot. Mm-hmm. They were aware of the problem but that their coffee was far too hot, and it was basically company standard to keep the coffee far too hot. So once I learned that then that that to me is gross negligence and yes you you deserve to be slapped yeah. down that you, you you deserve punishment level of, of tort to that yeah you know, like, I, I would absolutely i would absolutely uh, agree with that yeah the lady got you know second degree burns in her lap when she spilled her coffee which is terrible and and she should have been you know compensated for that but most people think that the the um the judgment was far too big but when you find out that this multi-billion dollar company was knowingly serving coffee hot enough to scald, then uh, that changes to me. It changes. No, I I, I absolutely agree with that. All right. What do you know about the the history of the 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution? I am not a constitutional lawyer. I'm I'm sorry, Peter. I was scanning through the various uh, blogs and articles. Uh, uh, I really can't come on and talk about Oh, no, no. Like this, this this one's going to be kind of fun to you. So the Thirteenth Amendment that we know today is the uh, slavery is dead, like no more slavery in the United States. And that mm-hmm. happened, you know, right after right. the uh, the so called right. Civil War, um, the war between the states, because it really wasn't a civil war, but the war between the states. Um, prior to the war between the states, there was a Thirteenth Amendment proposed, and some say ratified. There, there are actually books. Um, there are at least 47 times this other version of the 13th Amendment was printed. And, of course, it was uh, in, in the War of 1812, the White House being burned, all of the records were lost. But there's supposedly there's this other 13th Amendment out there that said that the, the title of Esquire awarded to an attorney was, <laughs> was deemed to be a title of nobility. And the, and therefore, attorneys were no longer were, were not welcome uh, as members of Congress. That that members of what Congress lawyers could not be elected to Congress. That's bizarre. They they've always been elected to Congress. Yeah. Well, there there was this this push at one point when uh, when you know lawyers. I, I no offense to you personally, but I think lawyers have ruined the the. The government. I think the fact that there's so many lawyers in Congress is how we ended up with 440 federal departments and agencies for the 17 powers listed under Article One. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I partially agree with that. I think the problem is not so much the lawyers in Congress; it's all the administrative agencies that have been just, you know, growing uh, uh, like crazy, and uh, you know the. the I once saw the numbers on the Code of Federal Regulations. It's in the millions of pages of federal regulations. Uh, to my mind, that's where that's where we got too many lawyers, too many agencies, too many regulations. I have no problem if Congress wants to um, vote on some crazy proposal like let's abolish gasoline-driven cars. If Congress actually wants if we want to have a vote on that in Congress, okay, that's one thing. It may be misguided, 
but at least your elected officials are voting on it. But when uh, administrative agencies start issuing rules, that that's where I think you're right, that we've just gone way too far. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I mean, the Constitution clearly says that only Congress can make laws, yeah. but but federal regulations are treated as laws. They're given the power of law, and they're even called administrative law. Right, right. So, I think I think there you you're probably familiar with uh, a uh, law professor wrote a book claiming that the entire administrative system is unconstitutional. It came out about four or five years ago. I heard him give a lecture on it. I haven't actually read the book. Yeah, uh, it doesn't. You don't have to be a genius. You read the Constitution itself, and you can figure that out. If it just nobody wants to do anything about it, it's the. The Administrative Procedures Act of 1946 is kind of what opened the doorway for the gazillions of agents. Yes. But but the Administrative Procedures Act itself was unconstitutional. So anyway, so we kind of we, we talked about how your newest book is different to the other ones. What are you doing next? Well, I'm kind of a one-trick pony. I'll probably continue the series. Uh, I have a good friend who helps me with all computer related issues on which I do need help. I, I, I can input the book on my computer, but there's a lot of computer stuff I can't do. In any event, he's helped me with all three books. He wants me to do something about AI in the next book, and I'm beginning to look into that. Uh, obviously, that's a huge topic, but there's a lot of funny things going on. For example, not too long ago, an AI bot lawyer was named to the list of the 100 best lawyers in America. <laughs> That's funny. And, al and, and also, more recently, uh, this was just within the last month or two, a judge in New York sanctioned an attorney who had submitted an AI-generated brief, and the brief had got everything wrong. A uh, case that had nothing to do with the issue, uh, and the judge was, was, not, was not a happy camper. That's funny. That's really funny. So um, I think there's probably a lot I can do with AI. Uh, I, I, I want to keep it humorous, though. I'm not going to write a treatise on whether AI is good or bad for us. Yeah, like anything else, it's a tool. Social media is a tool. It's we, the people, that have turned it into a cesspool that it is. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure social media is much the same way. Anyway, we've got a phone call. I don't know if he wants to talk to you or me, but he says he wants to talk about the 13th Amendment and attorney thing. Joe in Oklahoma on line three. Yes. I, you know, I don't know who, which one of you I want to direct this to because I didn't get in on the very first year discussion. But uh, one of you that was talking about this seemed to be apologetic that we couldn't know for sure that this uh, 13th Amendment was ever ratified or whatever. But I myself, personally, in 1996, viewed in the Arlington County Courthouse, Arlington, Virginia, the 18 statutes of the Commonwealth of Virginia, along with the Const United States Constitution and its attending amendments. Mm-hmm. And the 13th Amendment in 1817 in the Commonwealth of Virginia spoke of prohibiting those with titles of nobility, i.e. esquires, 
from holding public office. Right. I at, have, at that time, I witnessed was, that myself. This isn't hearsay. It wasn't reproduction. It was the actual document. And no, I like have I said, seen reproduced documents from a slew of other uh, states and territories. I think it was the last I saw was in the Northwest Territories, and I can't remember the date, but it was well into the 19th century. Like I said, it was printed at least 47 times. And back then, it was common, because there weren't very many laws, it was common for states to print their their law books, and they would put in the front of their law book the U.S. Constitution as the supreme law of the land. And, yeah, there are multiple copies of the 13th Amendment that has now gone, disappeared. I'm, you know, I would think that it's probably lawyers that made it disappear. <laughs> I never understood. I never understood why they wanted to call lawyers or lawyers wanted to call themselves Esquire. To me, that's kind of needless. I never understood that either. I, uh, I always thought it was a, you know. I can tell you why. Because, because it's a title they put of themselves above. They put themselves above everyone else. But so does the, just put JD, you know, Juris Doctorate. It's, it's the same, it means the same thing and it doesn't sound pretentious. <laughs> well, I don't disagree with that. But thank you All for right. your time. Thank you very much for your call. I greatly appreciate it, Joe. All right. So you're thinking about moving, doing about something with AI, and um, that that would be interesting to me. I use AI to help me a little bit. I generally um, will use AI when I'll, I'll write something out and get the uh, the AI to to reorganize it or you know, polish it for me sometimes when I, I've got something I want to say, but I just can't make it sound good. And I'll type it out and I'll say, hey, reword this, and, and it'll rearrange it and make it sound better. In a way that you're happy with? Usually. Sometimes I have to hit the regenerate, regenerate, regenerate three or four times until it comes up with one that I like. But, it, um, yeah, it, it helps. Okay. Well, Mike, uh- as a lawyer who wrote uh, briefs all the time for 45 years, I frankly got tired of people telling me that they could improve upon my brief brief writing. <laughs> so, uh, so I probably would resist going to AI to quote polish anything I wrote. Maybe I should, but but I'm uh, self assured enough that I think I probably would resist that. I get stumped. I have a high school education, and. Um... I just started this whole political stuff like five years ago. I spent most of my life in restaurants. Now I'm a mailman. And, uh, you know, sometimes I need a little help polishing around the edges. How long were you in the service, Peter? I I only did two years on active duty, and then I did six years in the reserves. Oh, okay. Mike in Kentucky on line three. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hey, that's kind of a standard thing, but I think they can recall you up to, depending on what your (laughs) profession is, up to... Uh, 55 or 60, I can't remember. They changed the policy on that when they were short during the Gulf War. Yeah. Uh, or sometime there in the early 2000s. So, yeah, I, I held in my hand, rebound, two uh, copies published by Kentucky in 1822 of that 13th Amendment back in, uh-huh. I'm going to say, 1994. I, I hate to say where I where it might still be because stuff tends to disappear sometimes from libraries. Yeah, that's what I want to understand. 
I, I, what I don't understand is okay. So you know the the whole theory is that um, uh, when when the White House burned in in the War of eighteen twelve, that you know the, the whether or not it was ever ratified was uh, was destroyed, and then we can look back now and we can see where Congress asked the president. Hey, uh, check and make sure if this got ratified, but we don't have any record of the president getting responses from the states now. But the fact that it was printed, you know, 47 times over five years or something like that seems to suggest that it was probably ratified. Well, and what matters is the archives of the state. The states all thought it was ratified as far back as I'm aware of, 1822, but supposedly the territory of Montana. Can you hear me? We seem to have lost Mike. Anyway, thank you very you much me? for your time, sir. We do. Oh. Let me, Mike, Mike, hold on for just a minute. I'll come right back to you. Uh, Mr. Morrison, anything else that you would like to add this evening before I let you go? No, I would just say that if your uh, listeners uh, are in the mood for a good laugh, I urge them to uh, buy any one of these three books. I think uh, they'll have a lot of fun reading it. And they'll also learn a little bit about class action abuse, which is a real serious problem uh, that needs to be addressed, but probably won't be. Yeah. Well, you know, lawyers involved, so probably not. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. The lawyer's lobby is huge. Uh, it's, that's why it's probably not going not gonna to be uh, addressed. Well, Mr. Morrison, thank you very much for your time. Everybody go out, go to Amazon, search for T.C. Morrison. And by his newest book, Send in the Tort Lawyers. Thank you very much, Peter. Thank you. Have a great night. Thank you. Night. Let's go back to Mike in Kentucky. Where were we, Mike? Well, I was just going to say that uh, the uh, last time it was published, as I understand, it was like 1874 by the Territory of Montana, as far as the title of, and it's, you really have to call it the Titles of Nobility Amendment because there were other proposed Thirteenth Amendments uh, prior to that. So, and none right. of them right. came close and to ratified. Just like all of the amendments. I'm sorry. What'd you say? Said, yeah, there were there were several before and after. I mean, there were there have been thousands of amendments proposed, um, but yeah, the Titles of Nobility version. Um, is is the uh, the one that well sure seems to sure seems to look like it was probably ratified and then well, just disappeared. I was going to say what you mentioned about the the War of eighteen twelve burning the White House was kind of irrelevant because it was proposed as because of the uh, War of eighteen twelve as I understand it I think in eight in uh, 1818, something like that. Kentucky ratified it in 1822, and so and all the other states thought it was ratified, so they published it as ratified, whether they voted on it or not. It's real similar to the 16th Amendment, you know, the law that never was. It was uh, Bill Benson's two-volume set where he went to all the state archives and showed that the 16th Amendment was not properly ratified, and even one state changed the language of it, which you can't do that, you know. I think no. it's Kansas. So <laughs> ratifying is something that doesn't exist. Yeah, it's funny the that the president doesn't even have to sign uh, a law. No. I, I wasn't aware of that until I looked into the history of the Affordable Care Act with Barack Obama, and you right. can find he the can, page. He, he can uh, wait ten, you know, just not sign it, and ten days later it becomes law as if he did. Uh, it depends on whether or not Congress is in session or not. 
But Barack Obama's just simply stamped approved and put an autograph on there without it having his title or seal. It's kind of weird if you find that page. I mean, Nancy Pelosi has her seal on there. Joe Biden has his uh, signature line with his title, but it just says stamped with ink approved and Barack Obama's signature. is kind of weird. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, there's, there's you would think he would put his title on there as President of the United States of America, da da da, with a with a big, you know, wax seal. Yeah, there, there's I, definitely a, a shall we say questionability uh, about the Thirteenth uh, through Seventeenth Amendments. Like they they all have have issues of hey was was that ratified right or not? Well, what is the what is the uh, 14th, 15th, yeah, it's the 13th, the second 13th Amendment, uh, 14th and 15th in, in, you know, the post-Civil War era, they all add this paragraph that says Congress shall have the power uh, to, to pass laws this. to enforce this amendment. No other amendments have that. It, 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 you know, it's almost like they're trying to mm-hmm. legitimize Congress because the Congress after the Civil War doesn't even meet on the at when the Constitution says they're supposed to meet, we've got to yeah. substitute Congress or something. Yeah, there, there, and, uh, there was a lot of shadiness after the Civil War about what what con- how Congress was operating. I, that's for sure. Well, they didn't have the authority to adjourn, sign a day for the in the first place, just because seven senators no longer had authority to act. You know, they were recalled right. by their. They were recalled by their states. They had no authority to act, so Jefferson Davis gave a farewell speech and left. I mean, there was nothing else he could do. He had no authority. And so the Union was not dissolved. The newspapers were probably at that point controlled by the Rothschilds. I don't know. But the Union actually was not dissolved. It was a big lie. They could Mm -hmm. continue on with the states that stayed. And uh, they had no authority to adjourn sign a day, uh, which means without setting a time to reconvene, uh, basically. So that was a flim-flam, you know, and uh, what's-his-name Lincoln ordered him back into session under uh, emergency power, supposedly, that he didn't have either. So it's just... Well, no, the, the, president, the president can call Congress to emergency session. That That is in the Constitution. It is? Um, oh, yeah. okay. Well, I got that one wrong, but... Was, <laughs> but uh, he used... Don't, don't get me wrong. Lincoln used a lot of emergency powers he didn't have. <laughs> But that wasn't one of them. <laughs> right. Well, I, I really didn't. I thought there was uh, a problem with that because the dates that they traditionally meet now is not what's listed in the Constitution. No. The Constitution so, says, you know, has to meet once, and now they meet all year round. So it, well, it I've been listening to Alternative Media for a long time back in the 90s. Uh, there was somebody that said that if you watch C-SPAN at the right time, you'd see a, you know, the president of the house uh or let's see which is it the president of the senate which is the vice president uh the speaker or or, or either way in in congress on both both sides they recognize a messenger from the president of the united states a guy walks in says mr speaker or mr president the emergency continues and turns around and walks back out right because all things operating under emergency is what they were claiming it is. Um, what was I just thinking of? The, uh, you know, we're under the, the the declaration of emergency since um, uh, since the depression, like the Great yeah, Depression. Well, emergency. That was yeah. That that was never, as far as I know, the the banking thing was never fixed. Nope. So no, 
Nope, never There's been. There's 30-some emergencies that we know about. It just makes me wonder how many there are that we don't know about because, you know, we're, we're mushrooms kept in the well, dark. I, fed on, you know. I'd kind of like to see a president, uh, a presidential candidate stand up and said, on day one, I will sign an executive order ending all emergencies. <laughs> no, I don't think that. Uh, that would be wild to see that happen. And I think the government would scramble to figure out how to operate after that because there would be a lot of stuff that would have to be dismantled, I think. Yeah, yeah. Whole Plus, departments would have to go away. Hey, thanks for your call, Mike, right, in Kentucky. Misty, feel free to call back. Sorry I missed you. It's break time. Be back in three minutes. I'm Peter Seraphine, and So Simple Even a Politician Can Understand is my latest book. It is a book of simple ideas that would go a long way towards fixing some pretty big problems in our government. It is an easy-to-read short book that uses common sense, something seriously lacking in our government. Order your copy for less than $10 wherever books are sold or at liberty-lighthouse.com slash books. Mike uh, sounded a little bit like something a hypnotist might be playing. Or no, no, no. Anyway, welcome back. I'm Peter Seraphine. This is the final segments of tonight's show. And boy, have we been all over the place? Started out trying to suggest things that we can do to help fix our republic from the ground up. Fixing your town, changing your voter registration to one of the third parties, just to send a message to the two big parties. Fixing your town by electing constitutionalist people in, uh, in in your town and in your county, right there. People that you can remove from office because it doesn't take a whole lot to remove a local official. People that are willing to stand up against the tyrannical overreach of uh, the federal monstrosity that we have now. But... It's the final segment of the show, and I didn't tell you about Romica Designs on in the last segment. Don't forget to visit RomicaDesigns.com, R-O-M-R-O-M-I-K-A, Designs.com, RomicaDesigns.com, for all of your custom laser-engraved, laser-etched, laser-cut uh, gifts and needs and purposes. Awesome stuff. I have bought a couple of gifts myself for my beautiful wife at RomicaDesigns.com. Use code LIGHTHOUSE when you're there. Save yourself a couple of dollars. I'd greatly appreciate that. And, well, let's see what Reb has to say. Reb, been holding since the last break. And, uh, well, welcome to the show, Reb. Yeah, U.S. Pentagon first team, Bubba, Scout, Reb in Colorado, Lakewood, Colorado. And we're not going to stop. You asked last week, what does he have in mind? We spelled it out. We're the law. We're not just nobody. We're prosecution witnesses for the United States America government against the state of Colorado. I told you, we're all under military jurisdiction. And I spent the first hour when you were talking about something else 
harassing the United States Pentagon at the National Command Center. So you call the number if you got any sense. You don't want lockdown. You don't want to take an injection. You already said no. We heard you. But you're going to have to back it up by force. And that's what U.S. military does. It's a public law, 109-364, Section 1076. The governor of this state was dealing dope against federal law. We're going to shut them down. We're going to bring the IRS. And we're going to take their dope money because it's a federal crime to possess marijuana. You don't have to like it. And you have every right to get in the way. Because what that's we're bringing, true. we're not going to stop. It's the law. We go ground them up. They've been obstructing justice. And we're not the Justice Department. We're the War Department. And it's time for them to be brought in dead or alive. Alive's not looking good. <laughs> the regional administrator has said, no, don't surrender. That's what they're telling them. So we already know. Just like, you know, we're, we're fed up with Caucasians. We're telling everybody we're white race and all. Caucasians suck. They can't get 20 of them together ever to go into a food store and say, we're not wearing, we're not covering our nose and mouth. They're not going to so, do that. You know, when they so, lock uh, you down, that's coming. So, so, uh, Reb, I'm guessing that you're not going to be taking the uh, the new vaccine that the Biden administration announced the other day that he's he's asking for funding for. It's murder. So we're bringing. We know Research Triangle Park, Fort Detrick, Maryland. They're not going to get that stuff out of there on our watch. It's not coming this way. It's like telling you we're bringing this stuff to murder you. No, you're not. It's going to stop. And we're not going to do anything. We're not covering our nose and mouth. But you have to organize. How come the dark people can organize? They don't even know each other. And they can put 100 people together, go into a store, and loot the place. And the 911 bastards, we call them the gimmick, they don't stop them. They can take up to $999. How do they know how much they're taking? They're just full of crap. Did, did you see the guy, the, the shop owner in California, who who repriced everything in his little quickie mart to be nine hundred and fifty one dollars? Well, that doesn't stop him from swiping it because that's a lie. Everything they're telling you in the, in these enemy broadcasts, especially the Patriots, are liars. They're going to wipe out the world population. We're here. We're mass exterminators, and we're telling you they're doing it wrong. They wouldn't <laughs> be bringing all these darkies in here from all over the world if they were going to wipe out the world population. They, no matter how many horrors they suffer, wars, famines, disease, they keep breeding better than mosquitoes all over the world. And and they're still coming. And yeah. they said the population's gone up. We believe it. It's eight and a half trill, billion, not a trillion. <laughs> they look like they're everywhere. And they're just overrunning the place. Who's stopping that? Nobody. It's against the law. Where's the law in this one? So you call 703. That's what I was doing while you were talking on the phone. 703-697-9121. And you don't, I don't know how to talk to those people. But did you learn your manners at Waste Point? That's how I talk to them. <laughs> we argue a lot. All right, so what's, what's the, Reb, before I let you go, huh? before I let you go, 
what's that phone number to? You gave me the number. Where does it go? Who, who, you, who are we calling? They call it call CHOPS, the chairman's office, Pentagon. And it's also called CHOPS National. It's also called NATCOM Cent, the National Command Center. It's the top of the Pentagon where our complaint is. And you tell them those deadbeats on welfare above a scout rev ain't doing their job. And don't shut up about us because no one's going to stop this. You couldn't get 20 Caucasians. I mean, they get hordes, but the Caucasians, oh, we're not going in. They're not going to tell these jerks we're not covering nose and mouth. And if you don't want to do that, how are you going to stop? And the silent alarm will go off and the guineas will show up because they're told murder whitey. They let right. the darkies rape the place and, and pillage it, and Whitey can't do that. I'm just telling you, it's a slanted thing. It's all against the white race. That's the that's the that's the part of where the decline is. That's where they're wiping out. So you're beat, we figure you're beat sixteen to one by the darkies with this eight and a half billion. That's not reducing populations. That's increasing them. So all right, the real it. message is they're getting rid of. <laughs> Getting getting phone calls piled up behind you, and uh, back over here to the Twitch chat room. Um, then we got uh, Drink Coaster Twenty Two. Nothing racist about this. Hey, I you know I I'm not a racist, but it is a free speech network, so I try not to cut people off too t- too terribly much. And um, Reb <laughs> Reb's just kind of funny. <laughs> I don't agree with most of what he says, but he's funny, and I like to listen to him for some strange reason. I don't know. Uh, John in Colorado, line three. Welcome to the show. Yeah, hi, Peter. Uh, I like your guest. It was very good. It was kind of interesting, some of those stories he talked about legally. Anyway, talk get about talk about voting. You know, it's there, you vote. I think you should. I know there's people even on the, on the RBN side, I'm not going to vote. And, of course, I didn't ask the question, if they got the voting where it's supposed to be, it's, it's, it's honest and all that, would you go back and vote? I think they would, but with voting, and I've, I've been a poll worker when I was in California since I retired for about 10 years before I moved to Colorado. So <laughs> I've known, I've seen all the ins and outs, and you know, you're looking at your dealing, run it all through the computer, they take it down to a central point or a precinct, and you know, I, I've read about it going back to the way back the Collier Brothers wrote their book, The Vote Scam, and knowing that can happen and what's going on. And people, you know, they just don't understand it. They have to get out and just demand it. You have to to get out and force. That's the problem. Enough people say that, go change it. But uh, it's possible, you know, at least we've got the right to vote. Whether, whether it's scammed or not, you can yeah, get a change. Enough people demand it. They can change it, get rid of the, uh, the computer systems, and go back to single ballot voting. Yep. It's the only way it's going to do it. Paper one day. You know, I want to say I want to I want to say thank you for being a poll worker. That was something I suggested a long time ago. I said if you're one of these I people out it. there, if if you're one of these people out there that that say that. You know, the, the elections are corrupt and there's no way to do it. Well, what are you doing about it? And the one thing that you can do is be a poll worker because every county in this country is short poll workers. Hundreds. Um, here in my county, Center County, Pennsylvania, I, I, we're about 100 poll workers short every election. 
And with over 3,000 or roughly 3,000 counties in the country, that means that there's, you know, like 300 or 30,000, 30,000, 300,000, 300,000 empty polling station jobs. So somebody's somebody's going to do those things. Why not be you if, especially if you're one of those people that think the election was stolen, that's corrupt, and you do something about it. Be there. I agree with it. I I enjoyed it. Uh, Interacting with the public, coming in and voting, and, you know, people, you know, they were very honest. A lot of people, you know, when they're saying, here's my ID just to prove I am. You didn't have to, but I said, thank you very much, and all that. And uh, the only thing about, I I disagree with paying, I think they're underpaid. Oh, yeah. They're going to throw a lot of money away. They could pay the poll workers probably two, three times what we get for for 10 hours a day. Ten. So wow. that, that, that's that, but, you know, it's out ours there. And, uh, 13 here in Pennsylvania, 13 hours. And yeah. um, Well, anyway, I, I yeah, between 10 and 12, depending on what you're doing, but, yeah. And that's all yeah. including coming in the night before and getting set up and all that stuff. And then they get the day when you come in and start working you know, about 10 hours. So that's no, a no, lot I'm, of work, but, you know. Here in Pennsylvania, our polls are open for 13 hours, so just the – being at the polling station is a 13-hour day, let alone the setting right. it up and the tearing it down and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. I, I'm, a, I'm a Pennsylvania state constable, and the one thing that I'm required to do is on election days, I have to uh, maintain peace and order at my polling station, and I have five of them in my town. So I I spend that day driving between the five stations. I, I drive to one and spend a half an hour or an hour at that one, then I drive to one of the other ones and spend an half an hour or an hour there, and I do that for 13 hours, and I think I make 160 bucks or something like that for a 13-hour day. Yeah, well, that's good. Well, thanks a lot, Peter, for what you did, as I did, you know. It's a lot of work, but, you know, thanks for doing it. And like I said, the more, the better, more people we could use, we'll help them out. Anyway, thanks a lot. Take care. Keep up the good work. Hey, thanks for your call, John. Greatly appreciate it. All right, so... Let's end the show the way we began it, talking about how we can fix the republic, starting with your town. So John just brought up another one. There are, there are, you know, in my town, there's about 100 vacant elected jobs. Most of those are polling station jobs, judge of elections and inspector of elections. Can't see that my county is, is, any, is, is anything unique in any way in that aspect. So... If there's 100 of them vacant in my county, there's probably 100 of them vacant in your county. So that's 300,000 election day jobs that could be filled by people who understand the Constitution, understand the voting rights and the voting systems, and keeping an eye to make sure that it stays fair. I suggested switching your party registration even if you don't vote, especially if you don't vote, because if you don't vote anyway then your party registration doesn't mean anything to you. So register to the Constitution Party or the Libertarian Party or the Green Party or something else. Switch your registration out of the two main political parties, the D's and the R's, the the donkeys and the elephants, just to send them a message. Fix your town by electing people to your town, your town council, your... your, uh, what do you call it, the county commission, your mayor, 
get them all to be people that you trust, that have actually read the Constitution. Teach the Constitution. We have literally millions of people in this country who swear an oath to support and to defend the Constitution almost every day that have never read it. How do you raise your right hand and swear an oath to support and defend something that you've never read? That's crazy. So teach some people. Teach kids. Teach your neighbors. If you're not the teaching type, you don't want to be you don't want to play teacher. Find a resource that you can just play. Like my Liberty Lighthouse classroom at liberty-lighthouse.com. Click the classroom button. Got courses there. I don't care how many people. If you get a group of people together and you're going to do the course together, I'll give the course to you for free. Just reach out and let me know. I'll make up a coupon code or something for you so that you can get it free and show it to as many people as you want. I've got about 18 hours worth of courses there available now, and it's going to be growing. So you fix your town, right? You've elected a whole bunch of people to your school board, to your town council. You elected a mayor and a sheriff that all know and understand the Constitution. They've all read it. They all believe in its purpose, and they're ready to go. They're ready to fight for your rights. That's the, the, the second key, is the ready to fight. If you don't know your rights, you don't have any rights. But what's the use of having them if you're not willing to fight for them? Somebody's got to stand up and fight for your rights. Or they're just going to go away. You know, I mean, silly things like, you know, impounding your car, for example. Let's say that you get pulled over and for whatever reason, the police officer that pulled you over wants to impound your car. Maybe they asked you if you could, if they could search it and you said no, not without a warrant. And they said, well, we're going to impound it. What, what rights have they violated at that point? Well, because you said they had to have a warrant, they didn't. They didn't violate the search and procedure, the uh, illegal search and seizure, but they are impeding your your liberty to travel. They are taking your property without due process of law. They are violating constitutional rights. Some of them might know that. Some of them might not even realize that. But if you aren't willing to say, if you impound my car, you're violating my Fifth Amendment right against taking my property without due process, and you're impeding my liberty of travel, you've taken my liberty, my constitutionally guaranteed liberty of travel. So when you take my car and you search it and you find nothing, Expect a nice big lawsuit. I really don't think there are that many bad cops. I think cops are a lot like lawyers. They're not taught the Constitution anymore. 
I should have asked Mr. Morrison when he was on the show, did he take a constitutional class when he became a lawyer? He argued in, in federal appeals courts. But did he ever actually take a class on the Constitution? Because I, I bet the answer is no. Most lawyers, they take classes on constitutional law. They take classes about other cases and opinions about the Constitution, but not a course on the Constitution itself. Those are lawyers. And the police are a lot the same way. They, you know, The police academy doesn't teach them about supporting and defending the Constitution, even though that's the first thing in their oath. The police academy teaches them about case law about what you can and can't get away with based on what other judges and police have done and said in the past. It's Our government has become a lot like that game of telephone when you were a kid. You remember the game of telephone? When, you know, like a whole bunch of kindergartners sit in a circle and the teacher comes and whispers something in one of their ears and they have to pass the message from person to person to person to person until it gets all the way back around to the beginning to see how much the message has changed. That's how our government and most of our society now sees our government and our Constitution. Well, this guy said this, or that guy said that. Or I heard this. This court case says, this judge said. Well, forget all of that. Read it yourself. First Amendment says, Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech. No law. So why are we having any debate about free speech issues? No law is pretty clear. Compelling state interest. Um, I don't see that in the First Amendment. Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion, prohibiting the free exercise thereof, abridging the freedom of speech, or of the press, or of the right to peaceably assemble, and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. No law means no law. Pretty simple. Read it for yourself, not what some judge says. Misty in Kansas online. Well, welcome to the show, Misty. Hi, Peter. How are you? I'm lovely. How are you? Well, I'm doing fine. Uh, you know, you were originally talking about uh, the republic that this country was founded on, a republic, not a democracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you go into the Bill of Rights, which is, you brought that up too, which is the supreme law of this land. That's the people's law. The first ten articles, you have to go back. We've been kind of programmed to say amendments. But if you go back and look at the document, it's a body of law. They're articles. It was the First Amendment with ten articles. That's our law. Now, we were guaranteed 
common law courts. Do you agree? Yes. When was the last time you saw one of those? When was the last time? Uh, well, let's <laughs> see. I think they started weaning them out in the oh, late 60s. They started weaning them out to where then, uh, once again, the bar, you were talking about that. I am allowed to represent myself as an American national, period, mm -hmm. in a common law court. Do Yes, I agree. <laughs> How'd they disappear? Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah, just... It's kind of like that 13th Amendment that we were talking about earlier in the show, too. It just disappeared. Okay, well, if you want to go... That's an amendment... Your Bill of Rights are articles. It's a body of law. So what you were talking about, I doubt anybody understands the Bill of Rights. What is it, I'm asking you, what does the ninth article say in the Bill of Rights? Do you know? Let me think. The the tenth is the... Uh, it's, it's, uh, I know the ninth... pull it up? I, I got to think in my head. Like, the, the, the tenth is... Is uh, everything, reserved, everything reserved is, is not, yeah, yeah. I know the ninth and 10th are, are related. I can't think of the ex the exact of the ninth. I'm sorry. Oh, really? I was yeah. just looking up, um, I was just looking up the, uh, the preamble actually to the, to the Bill of Rights right now. Oh, the, mm -hmm. the new enumeration of rights. That's what, that's what it is. Ninth the is enumeration. The enumeration is 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 not to disparage is the, the writing the down rights already exist right the enumeration in the constitution of certain so rights nice. shall not be construed to deny nor disparage others retained by the people now if you break those words down and you understand the, uh, the Bill of Rights, the law of this republic, is saying the government has no authority, period. The government only has the authority the, that we gave it. Pardon the me? Government, the government only has the authority and only has the power that we gave it, the things that are listed in the Constitution. Everything else is ours. I Yes, I agree. 100%. So I, I believe firmly people need to understand the Bill of Rights more than that uh, so-called Constitution. The Bill of Rights teaches us our authority. They work for us, not the other way around. Yeah, now, every and one other thing I want to say is that I do not feel ashamed for not voting. I do not at all. I'm not going to give my consent to a, quote, government that is ran with dual citizens. They're not natural born. That goes in the Constitution, if you will. I'm not going to give my consent by allowing these people to keep doing what they're doing, sending money, 
starting wars. And the only thing, I'm not ashamed of that, and no one will ever uh, address it to me as that, that I should be ashamed of not voting. But did you hear what what said about your voter registration? I personally am just dragging my butt on is not unregistering to vote because I don't give my consent to this fraud. All right. Have you ever seen the preamble to the Bill of Rights? I have seen all of it. The I know the, the of Rights. I didn't even know existed. is the Bill of Rights, period. The preamble to the Bill of Rights. Go ahead. I didn't even know it existed until, I don't know, a few months ago. Okay. We all know the preamble to the Constitution itself. The preamble to the Bill of Rights, I believe it was written by Governor Morris. The Constitution, or I'm sorry, the conventions of a number of states having at the time of the adoption of the Constitution expressed a desire in order to prevent misconstruction or abuse of its powers, that further declaratory and restrictive clauses should be added. And as extending the ground of public confidence in the government will best ensure the benefits ends this institution. And it goes on a little further, but now I hear music and I can't go. Uh, it's, it's, it basically says conventions didn't like some of the stuff. They wanted more strict, more restrictions on government. So here we wrote them down. Anyway. But the ninth article puts everything in checkmate. Right. Ninth and tenth. Time's up. Got to go. Thanks for your call, Misty. If you're listening live on Republic Broadcasting Network, stay tuned for The Edge of Darkness with Jeffrey Bennett. Thank you to uh, T.C. Morrison for joining me this evening. Thank you, Mike, my producer. Couldn't do the show without you. Thank you, and uh, most of all, listeners and callers, you're why we do the show. Until next week, protect your liberties. Once they're gone, there's no getting them back. God bless America. <laughs>